Hi, everyone. This is your host, Annie Zhang, and this is Hello Metaverse. often conflate the idea of the metaverse with VR experiences. And while VR can be one medium in which people experience the metaverse, it is merely a subset. The work that Philip Wang and team is doing on their virtual social platform called Gather helps demit this common misunderstanding. For Philip, the CEO and co-founder of Gather, the metaverse is about creating a strong sense of connection, presence, and place, no matter where you are. And so their vision for the metaverse is to provide people with easier access to opportunities anywhere, whether it's the ability to work, learn, or socialize. To accelerate this vision, Philip focuses on solving the problem of accessibility and cultural acceptance of the metaverse. Instead of seeing the barrier to mainstream adoption as a technological problem, he sees it as a societal acceptance gap. He cites people's frequent association to gaming and VR experiences as the metaverse as a major deterrent for them to participate because they don't identify with it or are unfamiliar with these platforms. To overcome this gap, Gather was inspired by the open nature of the internet. They built the platform as a 2D format in the browser so that anyone who has access to the internet web browser can immediately jump into a virtual experience on Gather. As a result, the platform has seen organic creations of virtual workplaces, academic conferences, brand launch parties, housewarming parties, and even weddings. They have successfully demythed the assumption that metaverse experiences have to be immersive and 3D and really open new doors for new types of people to participate. A bit more about Philip. Prior to Gather, he spent time building technologies to support more fulfilling relationships across distances at, I'm going to butcher this name, the Siample Collective, ranging from wearables, audio video apps to VR. Before that, he spent time at Facebook, Cruise, Microsoft, and as a researcher in deep learning at CMU. Philip graduated from Carnegie Mellon with a degree in computer science. As a disclosure, all opinions and points of view in this podcast are my own. It does not represent the views of Roblox, my current employer, and is not affiliated with the company. Now here is my conversation with Philip Wang. You and your founders have been building on the idea of Gather far before the pandemic actually hit. What was the initial reason or inspiration behind the concept? So we had started kind of like a whole year before the pandemic basically starting on like, how do you create close relationships with people no matter where they are? Everyone has people they care about who live all over the place. And for us, like we were just graduating college and all people would care about were kind of like moving to all different cities. And then we were looking at the status quo and it was just like, you would talk less over time and the relationship would falter. And we thought that was basically such a shame, right? Especially because you can look forward and you're like, oh, I already moved away from family to go to school. I'm doing it again for this job. And people move jobs all the time and don't get to be around each other. So we experimented a whole ton that whole year on all sorts of different ways to solve this. Even doing like thought experiments on like, what if we convinced everyone to move into the same neighborhood? Would that kind of like solve the problem? Down to, of course, like a lot of technology. We're all technologists and builders. So we'd start with like a, a wristwatch that would show, you know, five of your closest friends, uh, and if they're free to talk, you just like tap on them mm. just to say hi. You can feel like they're always around all the time. And we worked on all sorts of other kinds of like, you know, mobile, like video, different things that people might use. And eventually we actually got into virtual reality where 
we actually built an experience that we were in eight hours a day. Uh, we'd scan ourselves into VR. We brought a bunch of different parts of our world into there. And that was when, you know, it, it was still very early. VR still v- definitely very early. But that was when we got to squint into like, oh, wow, these like virtual worlds can be really impactful, not just for your friends and family, but even broader than that, right? Like people could work out of here and now work from wherever or do education in here and now, you know, increase access to these kind of opportunities. And that was when we got really excited about, you know, this whole idea of the metaverse. We didn't call it the metaverse yet. And yeah, that's like kind of where we started. Uh, since then, you know, obviously the pandemic changed a lot of the way that people were thinking about this. And we kind of like worked on, you know, the non-VR version, the version that people can use today, mm-hmm. where it's now, you know, this 2D interface where you have characters and video chat uh, and people use it across all these different kinds of use cases where they might have virtual offices and kind of like work alongside each other and create whole virtual events. And then of course, like people have recreated whole university campuses or, or rock band performances, escape rooms, virtual stores where you integrate like Shopify links. It's, it's pretty crazy to see. Wow. That's super awesome. And it's funny the journey that you followed, because I think a lot of people tend to follow that arc too of, Hey, let's first do like a really quick app. And then it's uh, all about VR. And then, you know, eventually get into something a little bit more tactical and practical. So you start to talk a little bit about what actually happens on Gather, but can you paint a visual picture for people who haven't been on Gather before? What it looks like? How does it feel? And then talk through some of the popular use cases that have emerged and why it's been impactful to people and their lives. Gather today, it looks like this kind of like 2D game interface combined with video chat. And so what that looks like is it's like a Pokemon-like viewport and a bit of a style. And then as you walk your character around, you hear and see the people via video who are near you. And so you really get the magic if you're actually in it. You can use it pretty easily by just going to gather out of town. But you'll have people be able to, for example, split off into multiple conversations in the same space, right? Where it's like, if you, in real life, if you had a group of 15 people, you would normally kind of like have many conversations going on. Actually, we just had our holiday party yesterday. It's that we had a lot of that. Oh, wonderful. But also it kind of goes beyond that where these metaphors kind of inform all sorts of other kinds of usage. So for example, in our own office, uh, the way we use it is when people come into work in the morning, they'll open up, gather, sit down at their desk. And then if anyone ever needs them, you just like walk up to them and say, like, oh, I have a quick mm. question. Or like just even say good morning when you walk in. And of course, you know, that goes many layers deep. It's like we have a bunch of meeting rooms and that gives you context clues like, oh, if they're in a meeting room, I can't, I'm not just going to walk up to them versus if they're sitting on the couches area, like after work hours, probably socially, I can just like walk up to them. You'll bump into each other in the hallways as you're going from like meeting to meeting or going to all hands or whatnot. Just make it clear, like that's actually only one of our use cases. Work is only around like 30% of our usage. Besides that, you'll see people create whole like event venues, right? Where it's anything from like an academic conference to, you know, Coca-Cola hosting something or like Magic the Gathering for one of their most recent deck launches, created a whole map that explored that lore. And there it's really like, yeah, it's more like an immersive event. It's more engaging. For a lot of events, for example, academic conferences, the whole point is to meet people. And now you're, you're again, like bumping into people while you're going from talk to talk in this whole venue space. And then there's just been like a really wide array of like various use cases we've seen beyond that, right? From people creating virtual apartments and having virtual housewarming parties with their friends all over the world, or like wedding venues where people actually have gotten married and gather to university campuses, could be like six floors, every single classroom, office, everything is recreated. The library and students actually like work there. And yeah, like it's pretty crazy to see, honestly. That's super awesome. What were some highlights of the Christmas party yesterday? What are some key oh, activities? Yeah. yeah, so our our team put a lot of 
thought into how to set it up and also like our own maps team kind of like made it a nice little map for ourselves in particular. I think there are two main highlights. The first activity we had was like everyone in the company would just decorate this huge tree together. Oh, that's nice. And at first, I think people were pretty shy about it and just putting normal decorations. And then I started putting stuff like surfboards and like pianos on it. And all of a sudden, you know, people started going crazy. Um, so that was just a fun thing. <laughs> I think this, the second thing that I thought was pretty cool was like our team is all over the world. Like, you know, we're across like 13 countries now of the 75 people. It's kind of like the whole point of our office is like you can work from wherever. And we had this session where everyone kind of sent a picture beforehand of, you know, something that where they were in the world and then everyone had to guess. And then after we guessed correctly, they'd come up and like talk about it. And so I learned mm. a bunch of, uh, for example, like in Argentina, it's very popular to have like grills at every floor of the apartment buildings. It's kind of <laughs> like a communal grill. Okay. And that's super interesting. Apparently, uh, one of our team members in Italy uh, lives near like a free wine fountain. That's just a you know public thing that you can drink from. And <laughs> inland people are generally just very happy. Like the government pays taxes, pay for all their needs. And there's a picture of like a bunch of people skinny dipping in some lake. That's just to say, I think it's really cool that just by default, we get to have a lot of exposure to many different cultures and, and backgrounds. Yeah, I love those examples. And also, you you hate to stereotype different countries, but wine fountain, really, in Italy? <laughs> That's probably the most stereotypical <laughs> I, thing. Yeah, well, it, uh, granted, it's only one person's yep. opinion, but you said something like, oh, that wine is like cheaper than water here. That's awesome. So what is kind of unique about Gather is actually like the co-creation aspect of it, right? The barriers to creation and the barriers to actually set up these places are quite low. So can mm -hmm. you walk us through why was that the foundation of Gather and why was that such a core principle for the company to begin with? And then how have you seen people self-organize to create these spaces? Are there leaders? Are there people who are essentially project managers? Or you mentioned the word mappers that define the space first and then other people go in and fill it out? Or is it very free for all and people are just doing whatever they want in there? Walk mm -hmm. us through what the creation process looks like. So in your first question, is like, why accessibility is so important? And you can start off with like where we wanted to go at all with Gather. It was basically like we had this idea of like these virtual worlds, this metaverse that would be so impactful for it, particularly the way that now people could have access to opportunity and like connection no matter where they are. You know, in our own office, people can like literally work from wherever and they wouldn't be able to work here if say everyone had to move to Silicon Valley. Or on the other hand, the whole problem we're working on for the year before that, which was like, how do you stay close with your... Yeah, everyone has friends and family they hear all over the place. But at that point, it felt really far away, right? It felt like, oh, yeah, VR is like seven years away. And really, the biggest problem to solve was to, to us didn't really feel like a technology thing. Like I didn't even need VR. It was more so like a, a societal acceptance thing, right? For me and you, like it's maybe less crazy, but it's pretty crazy. Everyone else is like, oh, I might actually be in a virtual world and work out of it, mm. right? For most people, maybe who don't play video games, it's pretty crazy that like I'll have a lot of my social connections over virtual worlds. I think that's really the problem that we set out to solve. And the most direct way to do that was like, hey, let's build something that is super accessible. That's why it's 2D, it's in the browser, easy, really easy controls, and that people will use straight away for specific use cases that like are completely not done elsewhere, right? Like I think gaming is one where it's very popular to, to talk about virtual worlds, but as I mentioned, like, you know, virtual offices or virtual events or like literally academic conferences is kind of like really far away from from ha having ever thought about this before. Right. So that's why it's so important about like accessibility, and making it easy to use. Creation tools was actually something that surprised us. Like we had kind of built a lot of it for ourselves and they just opened it up. But we're like, oh, these tools are hard to use. Like no one's going to use them. 
even though like literally the first version was unstyled HTML, we had hundreds of people asking us for help, like in the <laughs> early days, just on how to use this thing. But like, it was very, very, very popular despite that. Um, and we saw tons of different creations that even surprised us. And we're like, oh, this is really useful to lean into. And basically now all the use cases that use us will customize us to some extent, right? Even if it's like, let's say someone's setting up an office, they've never played games before, you know, maybe they're, they're on the HR team and they're just trying to set up it, set it up because they understand like the, the value I had for their team here. And they will go and like put their logo on there and like kind of rearrange desks mm. so that's familiar and maybe like add an office dog into there. And we've, we really focus on making it easy there. And then as to like, who is it? So we've definitely made it so that anyone who just like plays around with our tools for like 30 minutes will really get it and can really customize their space now. And so the profile is really someone who's interested enough to learn it. Besides that, there's a lot of templates that people can use mm. straight up. And there's actually like a whole partner ecosystem that we have, which is like 50 to 70 companies that are built on top of Gather and offer people services like a conference management company built on top of Gather that just wow. like makes spaces for people. Yeah, or like uh, for offices or like many things like the Magic the Gathering map was not created by us. It was created by like these other people who just love to create maps for people. And it wasn't even created by Magic the Gathering, the organizers? Well, they contracted these people to to make it for them. I think the coolest thing also is that this is like great business for all these people. Like, for example, um, yeah. the commerce management company I, I mentioned made like 500K in revenue in the first five months of business. Oh, my gosh. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, like they just are able to charge like way more on top of us. I think the way to imagine is like in real life, there's like a hotel real estate venue. And then there's a conference management company that actually charges a ton on top of that. Right. right. And we're happy to do that. Like, this, that's exactly what we want to see uh, on our platform. And what kind of expertise is actually required? Is it a combination of just knowing Gather really well and then also some programming <laughs> skills? Or like, what does that profile look like? Yeah, honestly, it's just like knowing Gather really well. In their case, in particular, they have some programming, just a few programmers, really, who know how to use our underlying APIs. Mm. And so they've created their own map maker. And this will go into kind of like what we believe with like the open metaverse. But they've created yep. their own map maker. It's optimized for academic conferences in particular. So it's really easy to put posters in your space and create different talk rooms and like not just talks, but like upload them to YouTube and like all these things that academic conferences really want. You know, these people have really like made it more of like an A plus experience for that particular use case. That's awesome. Well, so yeah, let's segue to Gather's ability to be very open and distributed as a platform. So talk about this philosophy. Like I know you guys wanted it to be open from the get go. And you actually wanted to basically make yourselves obsolete over time, right? And and simply build the foundations of the platform. So um, what is that philosophy and how have you guys approached the building of the platform to enable that? Yeah, I think the philosophy really comes from the open web, where it's like when I grew up, I rec always recognized how much I was gaining from like open source, mm. right? Like I used Linux as a kid. Like so many things I would just pick off GitHub and be like, wow, I have no idea how to write this on my own. And th I think there's a stark contrast when I worked on VR and it was like these app-based models. And we had all sorts of crazy ideas where it's like, oh, you know that like watch idea that I talked about? Like what yeah. if we built that and you had it across all the experiences you took in VR? And then there was a realization that like, oh, because of this kind of more closed siloed model of the app store model, uh, this is actually impossible. But it is actually possible on the, on the open internet where it's like that would be a browser extension, for example. Mm. And so really the idea here is that 
you want to build things in a more open, decentralized way in which on the technology side, say there's like the browser level and you can even swap out the browser, right? Like when Internet Explorer got stagnant, Chrome kind of came in. But beyond that, of course, there's like many different other layers of the stack from like security layers, API layers, SaaS services that you can use to the very top, of course, which is just a ton of websites. And there's no kind of like central party saying what can or can't exist on there. That's why you get literally trillion dollar businesses on the internet. And the technical side is also kind of like a practical side. And I think the really the reason to do any of this is kind of like one, to create more innovation, right? These kind of open platforms really allow people to innovate more freely and also innovate at any layer. Again, like the browser example is like, no one was forced to just use IE. Chrome comes in and pushes the standards for, you know, now WebRTC that makes Gather possible and all sorts of other stuff that they've implemented over the past decade or so. The second reason for open decentralization is actually decentralization of power, where it's like if you are creating this virtual world that's such a big part of people's lives, you don't want it owned too much by one person, or at least you don't want that like systematically a part of the system. Uh, instead, you kind of want it so that the diverse set of people in the metaverse are also kind of like building and governing it. So that's that's why that's why I think openness and decentralization is important. So what are the layers that your team has been focused on? And if you were to extrapolate to the next, you know, five years, what do you see as things that gather the company still owns? And then what are some layers that developers or even consumers might start to own? Our vision has always been like this open platform for all of the metaverse. The thing that we have also believe in, though, like on a strategical point, is that you can't just go build the platform straight up and mm -hmm. say like, hey, now everyone just come build on me. I don't think that's like a, a way that you actually build like a good platform. Instead, we believe that like there needs to be products that there's a very tight loop of like the products informing the end platform. And so we kind of started off building use cases ourselves, specifically focusing on having multiple use cases, because if you only have one use case, the platform is not actually going to be that interesting. Mm. Uh, and then choosing use cases that, you know, particularly don't seem solved in the wild or we'll kind of like get more users, get more people interested in this whole idea and coming back as builders. And so there's kind of different components. The first component is that we have a bunch of products today, right? You have there's like a, a remote work product and there's an events product and there's a social experience product. That's, that's actually a bit more nascent, just getting spun up. And, you know, like a lot of these are just built on top of our platform. They're actually separate code bases because they need to properly be on our platform. The layer below that is kind of like, I think I'd call it like the gather browser, which is like a way to look into these 2D worlds. Also like the map format that we have. And then like, you know, the mobile client alongside that. And then there's a bunch of other kind of layers that, that we have that I think will eventually will open up, which is like the video layer, for example. We have an optimized video experience for the metaverse where it's like, instead of having this room-like model, you need a different architecture if you're walking in and out of conversations frequently. And we'll eventually kind of like also, we also have like a map maker, that lets mm -hmm. people create whatever spaces they want. Some of the partners I mentioned are using it. It's not super public yet, but there's actually a way to like program whatever logic you want in the space as well. And so we're like opening all of that in the next year or so. Long term, you said in five years, I think really like we just care about building at the layer of the stack where we're the most useful. We want to push forward this idea as much and in the best way as possible. Mm. And I think hopefully where you get is where there's like a lot more builders on here and we can like dive deeper into lower layers of the stack and really come less to like building the end products ourselves, but maybe more so building tools for other people to create the open metaverse. I talked a little bit about opening up the video system, for example, that could be its own thing where like no one needs to ever worry about that kind of communication. Maybe the same thing with text, 
people have already like created their own map makers, but we could create, we could, we could like release the API there. We could give a few like common sense map makers that people could start out with. Yeah, I think it really depends how it develops too. So that, that that's the hope, but maybe we'll still be building a lot of products ourselves. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the word um, open metaverse, and I'm sure some people's like ears perked up as in like, what does that mean? Like, how does that fit with the rest of the metaverse? And that's been a big topic of conversation in the metaverse realm. So Gather, in the way that you're talking about it, is obviously not trying to dominate the metaverse vision, right? It's not saying we are the metaverse and that's the be all end all. And so how do you see that integrate with the greater ecosystem? And, you know, even calling out some of the other big metaverse like consumer players, whether it's video games like Fortnite and Roblox or it's these decentralized like NFT worlds like Sandbox or Decentraland. Mm -hmm. How does Gather fit into that? Or how do you also see all these different players start to intermingle and, and be interconnected with one another? I can describe what my ideal would be. It's still up to like what all these companies and people want to do, yep. whether it actually happens. Many layers to platforms is when you talk about them. I think I love talking about the internet because it's already so fully fleshed out and you can describe what, exactly what that looks like. Mm -hmm. For the metaverse, I think one layer that you kind of want across all of these things definitely is kind of like decentralized identity ownership layer. And maybe you even put some things in there, like a basic world portal format. I think like links on the internet, right? Where you can jump from one, maybe metaverse universe to another one. And the reason why I think identity and ownership is important is just because it's like so key across all experiences. And it's something that you could build network effect across this like decentralized layer versus any one person. So, and, and again, like to the point of innovation, anyone can kind of spin up their own thing and not need to worry about this like huge undertaking that causes most social media like ideas not to happen. Layers above that, I think are a lot of like infrastructure and tooling for the open metaverse. I, I think that I talked about like maybe an audio video layer, you can maybe have a chat layer, which is people can plug and play all these kinds of things. And you know, if they're a builder, like put it straight into their experience. And maybe that's even like a whole asset marketplace of you know 3D renders, 2D art, all that kind of stuff as well. And then of course you go up a layer above that and you get maybe like Roblox Studio or, you know, like we're trying to make it also possible to create any space and any kind of like logic you want in it. A lot of other people are as well. The ideal is also that, so one, with this decentralized identity layer, you would say have the ability to say like, oh, I'm kind of in one metaverse, someone else is in, is in the Ariana Grande concert on Fortnite and they can easily kind of like invite me over. Mm. Or I'm in my like virtual apartment just hanging out in in gather and i'm like leaving my door open house party you know esque style people can kind of see that through some central area and be like oh i can go join them now and this kind of interoperability is nice you know the the i think the layer is also very powerful was like now it'll be easier for people to innovate people can just like swap in infrastructure in and out and it'll be way more easy to create you know just like how you can on any website today there's a lot of tooling for that yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like the idea of links and just like really easily make it practical, jump from one experience to the other. It's crazy how you can't do that today. You mentioned marketplace, and I think that's where things get a little bit tricky, right? Because mm -hmm. people talk a lot about, well, how do you actually trade amongst different worlds, especially if there are closed Boy. ecosystems, there are open ecosystems. And then also, like, does everything actually have to be built on the blockchain, right? Does crypto mm -hmm. have to be like the bloodline of the economy for the metaverse? What's your take on that? Crypto doesn't need to be, but it is a powerful technology to do so. It just makes a lot of natural sense. It's like if any one central company, like if Fortnite created a bunch of awesome assets and told Roblox, like, hey, use our assets, we're all like, no, like, use our assets. But if it's kind of like on a third party and it's incredibly neutral, like it's provably like not 
owned by any one person, then it's a bit easier for everyone to say like, oh, this is like a win-win for everybody. Mm-hmm. But in general, like, yeah, I think the question is good where it's like, if you take one item, you know, the rendering engine of Fortnite, even the style is completely different from Roblox, obviously different from completely from, from Gather, we're losing the whole dimension. And I think one thing that's kind of interesting too is like, if you build with an open architecture in mind, you could build these bridges, right? So someone could actually build a way by which there's a translation between a gather map format to say a Roblox map format. And now it's possible to be in the same space, but have different views, right? I think this this is something that's like, I guess you have in some sense with like different kind of browsers, different kind of extensions uh, that people already use today. Like I would love to see this happen, but this really depends on like what other people want to do because it's a very involved thing to actually like, open up your API. You know, at this point, like Roblox has built so much on the top of their platform that it's unclear, like how feasible this would actually be for them. And, and if it's actually like even a priority, but yeah, like a lot of it's TBD is, is kind of what I'm saying. Yeah. And like, maybe if we take some of the older incumbents out of the picture, but let's talk about like Decentraland, right? If there's mm. a world where people are on Decentraland, people are also on Gather, how do you imagine those the trade between those worlds to exist? Do you think that items will actually be compatible with one another? Like, what do you think mm. are the things that are actually cross-pollinating versus things that are just like fundamentally don't make sense? I think there's actually a really interesting philosophical question here. Because you, you're talking about in terms of like trade between decentralized and gather. Mm-hmm. And that only makes sense if you actually treat them as like different countries in some sort. Right. Or if like these countries are regulating trade between each other. And, you know, it, it also comes down to like, should each one have their own currency if they want to control their own economy or something like that? Mm-hmm. Well, at least today, my sense is that like, hopefully the boundaries of what is a country or not are not at like the company level, mm-hmm. but it's rather like entities that exist on top of the metaverse level. It's kind of like, if you viewing Gather more as a skin, browsers, tools that you can use to interface with the metaverse, Decentralized has like a different set of those. And then like some other person who comes in and says, like, oh, I want to create a country, if you will, in the metaverse. And like it will have these rules. This is what our values are, et cetera. And I think I, I really like that idea because as I mentioned, like the whole point isn't for any one person to have governance over this. Actually, not even any one person, but... You don't want the wrong set of people. And it's not clear that just the people building software are the right people to make all these other rules for for the metaverse as well. Yeah, I I love that analogy. I actually use that all the time, which is like countries when it comes to interoperability of the metaverse. You don't want everything to be perfectly interoperable, right? Because then there's no diversity. There's Mm -hmm. no sense of community. There's no sense of identifying with certain places and not other places. But if you put into perspective countries, then it makes sense. It's good to be able to easily travel. But at the same time, you don't want Italy to not have their wine fountains. So zooming out a little bit more, it's interesting because you have a grounded perspective on the metaverse, which is it's very much founded on how the Internet fundamentally works. There's a lot of things and concepts that we're not really reinventing. And in some ways, it's what people refer to a lot as Web3. Web3 is Mm. still very much like Web1, where it's very open, decentralized internet. But I guess with consideration that blockchain and cryptocurrency is like the economic layer of it. But what's your take at the end of the day when we're talking about the metaverse and this future that we're trying to move towards? How is it even different from the existing Internet if we Hmm. were to just take out of the picture big apps like Facebook and, and YouTube? I think this question is important because like what the whole purpose of the metaverse oftentimes gets lost Mm -hmm. and you know what it even is kind of gets lost sometimes to me like really the point of the metaverse as i mentioned before was kind of like to create a new opportunity using connection for people no matter where they are 
And this spans, you know, for example, work where it's like lots of people wouldn't be able to work at our company if it if it wasn't virtual. And mm. opening up those kind of opportunities is really powerful. You might also get like a second order effect where it's like new sets of people get to work together and new innovations happen. So many of our biggest innovations at the time, Bell Labs or the Manhattan Project or whatever, was basically just them getting in the same room together for those reasons. Or education, of course, where it's like any teacher can teach to a class all over the world. Or then, of course, like all sorts of activities and, and places and things that people connect socially on, maybe new communities that are formed on here. I think it's pretty clear to say that that doesn't exist right now. That to me is what the point of the metaverse is. The metaverse brings like a stronger sense of connection, of presence, a sense of place that I think is very important in many cases, where now like, again, you will have like a virtual office and that can be an effective way to collaborate and work together. You can create these virtual spaces that'll be really effective for like education and same thing for like all these kind of like social experiences. And so to me, like really the metaverse isn't really about VR in particular, or actually even like particularly like virtual worlds or like blockchain or whatever. It's more so about like changing the way that people interact Mm -hmm. with each other and like these spaces that they create and kind of like working towards creating these these like opportunities and and new types of connection and community for people. I love that. And so it's easy to say, hey, we're going to move to this idealized future where like you could connect to anyone in the world and work with anyone in the world. But let's confront Zoom fatigue or just the general concept of being tired of staring at a screen. What do you think of that? And how has that played a role in your company as well as how you think the prospects of the future of work being mostly remote is given also now a lot of tech companies are bringing people back into the office? So I think the first thing on Zoom fatigue in particular is that there's like multiple facets to it. And I think one big one that we like serendipitously realized is that actually a lot of it comes down to like Zoom. There's like not much to look at. The design is intentionally and like very clean and very small borders and everything. Mm -hmm. And that part of the fatigue is that it's just like a pretty corporate looking software. Where on the other hand, like, and this was pretty surprising to us, actually, like we spent a lot of time on Gather, obviously. And just the fact that there's a kind of like more to look at, like even when you're talking, maybe say at the couch, you see people like running around or like people like decorating their desks, that helps a lot. Or even just like it being a more fun design and interface, I think even helps. So I think Zoom fatigue in particular is not actually so big, but I think there is a broader question here where it's like, what is the percentage of time that people are spending on virtual worlds and stuck to technology in particular? And I think there is one particular philosophy that we have, which is like, we are not virtual world maximalists like our goal is not to get people on virtual worlds as much as possible generically Mm. right our our goal is to create opportunity and connection for people no matter where they are and people will use the virtual worlds as much as it is useful for that but beyond that i think there is a question to be asked where it's like hey you don't want to like attention hack someone and make it so that they're just like in vr 16 hours a day and never do anything else right the ideal world is one where you do see people in person right like the real world is very rich and you should go do that with people it's possible with the metaverse is an alternative for people that isn't a reality with i think even for our own company we are considering like what is the cadence of offsites uh, maybe like each team meets like quarterly we, we haven't figured it out yet like covid variants have really thrown a wrench into our experimentation <laughs> but it's like what is the right combination of like in-person time where you can do the metaverse isn't quite there yet. You can't do everything in there, it, like everything you want to do just yet, but still working in an environment where you're not forced to do that every day. And so people can actually work from here if they don't, you, you know, if they live all, all over the place. 
Yeah. I also sometimes think about the idea of what are the places in which you find more value in the metaverse? Like some people it's play, right? If you're really interested in gaming, then of course you might spend a lot more time gaming in the metaverse, but then you might like work offline. Um, For me, it's actually, I like to work online, but then I like to take vacations or like do personal things offline, right? I would be so sad if I took a vacation Mm. and it was completely online, although for some other people it might be different. I would rather Mm. go to Hawaii or go to Spain or go somewhere physically and be able to immerse myself into the physical world. So I'm sure we'll start to see these like emergent archetypes. So kind of like deviating from what we've talked about, your background is in AI. And I think, you know, largely that's not something that you guys have incorporated a lot in and building Gather, but I know it's something that you think about a lot. At a high level, how do you think about AI's involvement in building the future of the metaverse or just the future of the internet? And what are some of the use cases that you think even off of the things that you think a lot about, AI will be helpful and assisting? I think I'll say first off that like AI and even to some extent blockchain are not like the biggest things for the metaverse today. There's like a ton of other things where it's like, hey, let's actually figure out how to make these worlds that people will actually use Mm -hmm. right i think it still is intellectually interesting to consider like what does ai do for the metaverse in the limit though i think there's like a few things that have been on my mind one was like on world creation Mm -hmm. so for example like we've seen many many different styles of maps on gather and you know technologies in the in ai kind of like these generative models that can kind of like stylize something differently maybe it's even like you take Google Street View and you can just input that into the AI model and it'll output things of the style that you want. And you can kind of like just have Stanford's campus and gather immediately like that. There is another side which actually ties back to some of my background, which is like I worked on Minecraft AI for a whole year. There's actually a research oh, really? lab. What? <laughs> yeah, it was actually really awesome work. Um, and they're continuing at OpenAI today. It's a very large project. There's many different ways you wanted to take it. But one thing that I realized is, like, from my time playing Minecraft as a kid, you would always see, like, really awesome creations of, like, New York recreated foot by foot in Minecraft. But then when you actually go there, it's, like, so sad because it's, like, really, really empty. Right. Right. And I think it's, for a while, like, AI might have a, a place in making these worlds rich and not just, like, lonely at, at first. You're not going to start with, like, a million, seven million people in the New York metaverse. And actually, like Epic has done some, I don't know if you saw the Unreal Engine 5 mm-hmm. release, or they, they have like a software package, which is like, oh, this is the traffic package, or this is the crowds yeah. package. And that can automatically like make these things really rich. I think AI can even probably maybe even go beyond that, or like beyond just like people walking around, which there is like randomness to this environment that makes it interesting. In my opinion, though, this is like, again, still pretty far off in terms of like, I think I don't think New York metaverse is the thing that's missing in terms of like why people aren't having great connections. Mm. It is really interesting to think about like all the things that could happen. Yeah, I also think maybe it's easier for AI to fill in some gaps in the virtual world and start there rather than in the physical world. So I'm even thinking Mm. about like virtual assistants. It it feels very unnatural to interact with Alexa to me still to this day in, in the physical world. But It would be interesting if I was just in Gather and I go up to something like a vending machine and I say, hi, I would like a soda or something like that. But then even like yesterday, I was listening to a podcast about all these Twitter hacks and like bots that are created and they're using like facial generation technology so that you could create like Mm. a fake person that looks very, very Mm. real. There is a Mm. world where like maybe you don't want to interact with these AI 
people in the virtual world quite yet. But to your point, they can be part of the crowd or they can serve like very minutiae tasks and, and stuff like that just to make things feel a little bit more alive. Yeah. I also really love the creation part of it too, which is like, can you make New York in a day and then make it space New York, right? And change it up. Right. I think that's a completely parallel thing that we explored with virtual reality for a little bit, which is like, you can prototype physical things in the virtual world very easily. So you know, we talked about that watch we built. That was something where it took like three months and mm. the, our friend who built it is very fast himself. But what he has to do is like he designed the board, sends it off to China, has to wait like a week and a half. It comes back. Oh, it's not correct. Mm. Send it off again. And like there's this whole lead time building hardware. But we just we could prototype a version of that watch we built in virtual reality in like a day. Right. right. Yeah. And similarly, like, you know, a lot of robotics research happens with like simulation robotic arms. And like, so yeah, like I, I think that could be kind of interesting in terms of like, Maybe the metaverse is where a lot of the AI prototypes happen first. Yeah. Another kind of random question that this reminds me of is how do you think about, I think there's a term skeuomorphisms that like Chris Dixon has thrown out where it's like initially when you build for a new uh, medium, everything is based off of what you already know, right? So when people first built computers, they tried to make a cooking list with a computer. They didn't realize you could watch video, you could play games, all of these different things. In some ways right now, the metaverse feels like that, even Gather, right? It's a very visual representation of the physical world. Is there any insight or any thoughts that you've had around how the metaverse could look like in a way that we have not traditionally imagined it? And what does that look like to you? I think there's maybe like two things in mind. One is pretty obvious. It's just like teleportation. Mm. In fact, actually, if teleportation existed in the physical world, a lot of our mission would already be our teleportation is, is mission aligned with Gather. And mm -hmm. like, if you actually had teleportation, you probably could have access to all sorts of opportunities and connection, like no matter where you are. Right. And you can have that for free in the metaverse. So that's pretty cool. Another one is actually also about land and physical constraints there. Mm. So one thing that you can do really easily is in Times Square, maybe there's an apartment building. That apartment building can have infinite levels, right? Right. You don't need to be constrained by that. And I think this is actually where a lot of like other projects that focus a ton on constraining land and with exact physical constraints, it seems to me like that's not the hill to die on. Or that's not what you should build your business on, on top of. Because like there's a lot more to explore where it's like maybe it isn't the best world in which there are people are speculating on land prices and everything. Instead, <laughs> you could have a world where like there doesn't need to be that constraint. If it's not land that people are speculating, what what else would it be? Well, I don't know if people need to speculate. Like, oh wow, it's not a world capital, without speculation—that's so. interesting. Well, okay, I think let me let me take that back. I think there is like value in it, but I don't think humanity needs more people spending energy and capital on like speculation. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things to be invested in on like productive capital, and there's many there's so many problems out there in the world. Like, there's not a lack of like things to spend our efforts on. So. Yeah, I mean, that's a very interesting thought experiment because in some ways, like speculation is seen as negative, but I also think it's just almost like a way to divert human attention, right? Humans can't focus on too many things at the same time. And so it's like, okay, like let's let's just all anchor towards this and let's all focus on this this one thing or start to like, you know, attribute value to this one thing and, and do something around it. So it's crazy to think about a world where if the metaverse is just full of equal opportunities at any given time, you could do whatever you want to do there's no constraints how would that shift fundamentally how humans operate or even like human psychology well i think first of all i'm not saying that there's like no economy or no like goods that people own or anything like that in fact i don't think i don't think i was talking about speculation as like it shouldn't exist at all so for example i talked about productive capital people 
speculating on stocks is still speculation, mm-hmm. but it's useful because if you're making a, a bet on like this company and you're buying more of its shares, that money is kind of in, in some, at least some way going towards that company, like progressing in, in whatever their mission is. I think it's like, you'd rather see more of that right. happen where it's like, you know, you maybe people speculate on like a climate change company yeah. and they're basically kind of like funding it and they believe in its, in, in its team and in its mission and whatever. But I think there is a whole separate question of like what things come for free on the metaverse versus not. I think the example of that is you could have a metaverse. Everything is an NFT. Like every every single phys- every single object that exists is an NFT. You make it really hard to like copy anything because you want to have the constraint of like if you want a water bottle, you need to go drive ten minutes to the store to go buy one, right? And etc. In some sense, like going to that limit feels kind of silly because do you really need to do that for everything? Yeah, but then the other limit where it's like, as you mentioned, like everything is free. You can copy anything. No one owns anything. I don't think that works either. People need to find something to assign value to as well. Or like, oh, like there's particular instances in which like you do want ownership. So I actually don't have all, all the answers to this. I think my sense is like, I don't want to be the sole decision maker on this either. Like <laughs> I want to build a lot of tools for other people to like decide for themselves what they want. Yep. Yep, definitely. All right, cool. Well, I have one last question for you, which is just what's your uh, favorite project that you've seen in the metaverse sphere that's not Gather? It's actually hard to pick. I think there's a lot of really sick ones. Okay, you could give a few options. Yeah, okay. So this one is kind of interesting to point out because it's not necessarily niche, but I'm actually a huge fan of Epic Games. They've been talking about like the open metaverse for years. They have a ton of really interesting work on like Unreal Engine, for example, that's like actually just really crazy. Like, I don't know if you checked out Unreal Engine 5 and Nanite and like all these things that they're releasing. This this graphics rendering is actually insane. And I don't really know many other people who can like even go to that level. Mm. So that's pretty cool. I see the other thing I'd point out, which is this one's a bit less well known, but there's this group called like Zero X Park. They're they're most well known for a crypto native game called like Dark Forest, which is basically mm-hmm. a game that was built mostly on like smart contracts. And so what that means is a lot of the logic is kind of like in these smart contracts, people can kind of like interoperate with their game like super easily. And it's like really, really interesting. It's a, one, a really fun game, but it's really cool to see what the community has like built on top of that. Mm. They then created like a research group called Zero X Park, making a reference to like Xerox Park, where they are like innovating on a lot of these ZK, like zero knowledge technologies, a lot of tooling, a lot of education. And I think they're really pushing forward the space a lot in terms of where the blockchain needs to go over the next like five years for it to actually be useful to other people building the metaverse or actually just more broadly out there and for all other use cases as well. So I gather it's actually like donating a good amount of money to them because mm. we believe because we believe it's going to be important for this future. Hey, Philip, thank you so much for your time today. I'm really excited about your grounded approach to building the open metaverse and, and what Gather is doing in terms of onboarding the regular consumer and not just like esoteric blockchain enthusiasts. So yeah, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. gather you can find him on twitter at flipping flops and you can try out gather by simply visiting gather.town do you know any insightful thought leaders in the intersection of ethics education architecture public policy and tech i'd love to know who they are and potentially feature them on the show my email is annie at hellometaverse.fm if you like this episode please help leave a review in your podcast app of choice 
As always, thank you for listening. This is your host, Annie Zhang, and I will see you in two weeks.